Welcome to Creative Writing, the best podcast you're listening to right now. Unless, of course, you have two devices running and you're listening to two podcasts simultaneously. In which case, the other one is probably better. I know the other one's better. There's no way it can't be better. This is your host, Buck Roller, and uh, welcome, everybody, to episode 64 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, and uh, I'd like to welcome you to finally a sunny week in California, a mostly sunny week. We did have a little drizzle and uh, a lot of wind, crazy wind, but dude, it hasn't like rained and poured, and I'm sure that anybody on your friend list that uh, you're checking out right now has just been like squealing and clicking their heels together, preferably hope over some tabletops, but maybe just uh, while they're doing a wheelie. Oh God. Let's just get into the show. We're already a minute in and I've already wasted your time and blo- uh, re- reduced your IQ level. So let's just get into the show. It's going to be a little bit long show because I have some special guests that I plugged last week. I guess I could tell you uh, I went to a motorcycle shop last week, hung out for five hours right off the top of my head. I'd like to say thank you to my loving wife who uh, was probably a little dismayed that I spent so much of our short vacation at a motorcycle shop and uh you know five hours over the course of like a four-day weekend doesn't seem like much but um it was like right in the middle of the day so kind of it was and it was on a weekend so kind of so anyway thank you babe for uh putting up with my shenanigans thank you so much to our guests dave and jennifer who you'll meet in a little bit but now let's I want to kind of get some stuff out of the way so we can get into our interview. I really do want to talk about a few things going on this weekend. We mentioned it last week. We'll mention it again this week. Black Girls Ride Magazine presents Helmets 101 at Hudson Motorcycles in Gardena, California, February 25th. It's going to go from 10 to 2. And guess what? It's going to have everything you need to know about helmets. Also on the 25th, the President's Day Ride from LAX to Simi Valley. It's going to be at Eagle Rider LAX, uh, 8.30 a.m. The 26th, listen up, everybody. Well, let's back it up to the 25th. 24th, 25th, and 26th, uh, Cerberus Moto is going to be at the Big 3 Swap Meet in San Diego. That's at Qualcomm Stadium. If you're a gearhead, you got to check it out. I mentioned before that it was like a rite of passage in San Diego. Uh, also, the 26th, um, SoCal Swap Meet up here at the Long Beach Memorial, Long Beach Stadium, Long Beach Memorial. God dang it, I mess this up every time. But anyway, the SoCal Swap Meet is where you need to go if you're looking for it online. The rain forecast really isn't supposed to be that bad this weekend. I think it got reduced to might rain from actual rain. So go check that out. If you're on the East Coast and you're down in Florida, where I guess it's probably going to be warm, uh, check out the Iron and Clematis. I spotted this on the Cafe Racer podcast uh, Instagram feed. Uh, I believe Steve Grosso is going to be the MC or one of the MCs down there this year. That's going on this weekend, February 25th through February 28th of next year. It's a whole year long. I'm just kidding about that. It's just uh, just a Saturday. So hurry up and get down there. Florida also kicking off spring riding season for the rest of the country, even California, with Daytona Bike Week. And that's going to be from March 10th through the 19th. Make sure, if you can't get down there, uh, to check out Fans Choice TV, the 
American Flat Track inaugural, you know, 2017 Daytona TT is going to kick off uh, March 16th inside the world famous Daytona Speedway, Daytona International, baby. Uh, on the 17th, there's a couple important things going on down. I don't know exactly where it is. I, I forget, but I know it's at Daytona Beach. The concrete clash on the coast put on by Ivy League Flat Track uh, is also going to be on the 17th. So check that out. If you can't make it, I'm, I'm fans choice. Maybe streaming that as well. Also on March 17th, check out Strictly Swing Spokane.com or Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugies, Johnny J at Johnny J Swing.com because there's going to be a huge swing festival up there by our fellow friends and bikers. Johnny J and his crew March 18th this is an event filled weekend everybody there's going to be a spring party for Born Free and the Garage Company they're putting on a uh, an event that's going to be like the spring kickoff spring cleaning party so you can go find some of this on our Facebook page we'll have uh, links to the stuff there I mean that's always the easiest way to find everything on the 19th, Hell on Wheels has rescheduled their stadium steeplechase out at the Lake Elsinore Raceway. Due to the rain that was maybe coming in this weekend, uh, they've rescheduled that until the 19th of March. So if you didn't have your bike ready or you just flubbed up and you're like, you can't make it this weekend, guess what? Don't worry about it. They got you covered. It's rescheduled to the 19th of March. March 31st, you may remember us at the end of last year talking about the Ramming Speed Small Bike Small Bike Classic Track Day. Well, it's happening again, folks. Ramming Speed, Friday, March 31st, is putting on another Classic Track Day out at Willow Springs Raceway in Rosamond, California. And if you have any questions, you can check it out. You know, look up Ramming Speed. Email Brian Herdsfelt at B Herdsfelt at gmail.com. That last name is H E R Z. F-E-L-D-T and you can check out their information as well. Check out LAMotorcyclist.com look at their events or you can go to the Facebook pages of all these groups. So yes, it's going to be an amazing month you guys. March is going to be awesome. All right, guys, just a couple things notable this week, some news that came out. I kind of want to blow through this, otherwise it's going to be a two-hour long episode. Uh, Something I noticed on MotorbikeWriter.com, and, you know, creative writing, everybody always thinks it's W-R-I-T-I-N-G. Well, Motorbike Writer is W-R-I-T-E-R, Motorbike Writer. Uh, In February, they published an article about emergency braking. Now, we always harp on technology here, and actually I talk about it with my guests uh, later in this episode. So I thought I'd make it a little affront right here and talk about the Honda being mentioned as one of the first motorcycles to uh, incorporate emergency braking in case of an imminent crash into their motorcycles. Now, car manufacturers have been doing this for a long time, at least a decade, and now they're kind of putting all other sorts of technology into uh, riding. So it doesn't, or into driving rather. And so it's not really that relevant, but Honda and BMW, two car manufacturers that have this technology available in their cars, may be trickling it into bikes. And Honda here in this article is reported to be the first one. Now in their cars, it's called collision mitigation, mitigating braking system, but on their bikes, you know, I'm not 100% what they're going to call it, but it's an automated system. And it senses when there's a vehicle coming out or something like that. And if it you know, the rider does not apply any brake pressure or even partial brake pressure. The 
the system just applies full maximum pressure until either the sensors aren't picking up an object anymore or until the motorcycle has come to a complete stop, which of course the wheel sensors and the accelerometer and all that stuff will pick up. So what it does, and it even says right here, the, uh, the, if the rider does quote from motorbike writer, if the rider does apply the brakes, the automated system would apply maximum pressure, taking away the onus for riders to learn how to perform emergency braking, end quote. And that's something that we're always harping about, about technology. It's great that we're going to have something like, you know, traction control and ABS and all this stuff on bikes. But it's also kind of crummy that, you know, the as a rider and especially new riders and even experienced riders that may have like only ridden one style of riding for a long time this is taking away not only your onus but your even ability to be able to learn a, a new style of riding or how to do stuff safely and then you know heaven forbid the system should fail or, or something like that you know a sensor should go wrong or something like that so at, at any rate uh you know honda bmw um those are some oes that are making technology but bosch continental and denso they're also making some uh technology that you know they're making the actual pieces the sensors and everything so of course these are all integrated into the motorcycle industry and of course these guys are a big part of it and so you know it's coming it's not that you know we don't we we just don't want it to it's i mean these guys are in the industry and they're constantly making changes so it, it will be coming something i learned that i wasn't 100 percent sure of but I, I knew that in in euro as part of the new like you know we we're talking about last year 2016 being the end because of the emission standards and stuff coming in well 2017 was going to be the year of the safety standards and everything kind of rolled into the emission standards to go along with that uh one in three new motorcycles manufactured in Europe is now fitted with ABS, according to this article on Motorbike Writer. And Japan, Europe, India, Brazil, and Taiwan have mandated anti-lock brakes on certain designated motorcycles. So ABS and stability control are already things that used to be luxury items in the past, and now they are standard in cars. Will they be standard in motorcycles in the future? Now, cars obviously don't have a self-balancing mechanism, but they are getting automatic braking. And, uh, you know, everything's trickling down. I think we can see where this is going and how different riding is going to be in, say, 50 years. We actually talk a little bit about that in this uh, episode. So uh, one last thing before we get to our interview. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Elena Myers and who she is, but she was one of my favorite female American road racers uh, within the last few years to come out. Not a lot of girls in racing, period, and uh, not a lot of girls, especially in road racing that make it to the professional ranks, at least in the AMA. So it was really exciting. I mean, we got her, we got Shalina Moreda and Melissa Paris. And don't get me wrong, there's a handful of others. I mean, the Motorcycles and Misfits just interviewed Carolyn Sells, who road raced the Alaman. And I actually follow more on Instagram and uh, Facebook that are international riders. I'm not not Americans. So they're out there like Jenny Tinmith, all these, you know, there's a there's a handful. And, and um, but you, you see them come and go. And it's kind of like they don't get the attention that they deserve when they drop off the map or when they come in. And so, you know, I had my eye on Elena. I'd wonder where she had went because I hadn't seen her uh, or heard her in interviews or anything like that. And it's actually been a couple of years and it ha wasn't too long ago that she was doing all these cool triumph, uh, little promo videos, her and her teammate and all that stuff. So it was, it was really cool. So for her to, to, to leave, I, you know, didn't really, you know, it kind of 
raised a red flag. But of course, like I said, it comes and goes, especially in the last few years when we've been having like top riders not getting rides and sponsorship stuff falling through. I thought it was just, you know, she'd fallen through the cracks and unfortunately didn't get a ride again. So it was really interesting to have this article come out and read about the reasons why she left motorcycling. And it turns out that when she was in uh, at New Jersey Motorsports Park outside of, uh, in, it's in Millville outside of Vineland, she had crashed her Triumph on the track and she was staying at the Lowe's Hotel there in Philadelphia, went to get a massage because I'm sure anybody can tell you, even if you don't crash, you know, no matter what sport you're do- you're playing or doing, you get sore. Obviously, you're just, your muscles are working overtime if you're an athlete of any kind. And so she was, you know, used to getting massages. So it was no big deal to go in and get a massage uh, down there at the spa at the hotel. She was sexually assaulted by a guy named Jerome McNeil. And he, the, the terrible thing is that he had been accused of this before. He had been, he had done it a couple times. And I mean, if you go read the article, you can just see what sort of things should have raised some red flags with people in Philly period, or like in in other places he had worked. He got fired from another place, and um, he filed a civil lawsuit because um, they were saying that he was, he was saying that because of a past uh, conviction that it was infringing on his right to earn money because people wouldn't hire him because he had this felony, but when you have that sort of felony, you really need to check into it, and the court covered it up, you know, okay, we'll seal this record or whatever the heck it was. Um, expunge it. I'm not sure the legal terms, but it's a terrible thing that happened. And the even more terrible thing is that it had happened to women before. And this guy was never like reinvestigated or reevaluated and the hotel did nothing about it. So needless to say, I think there's probably going to be a class action lawsuit. uh, uh, Well, at least a couple lawsuits or settlements with other women regarding this guy's behavior. Some of the accounts of what happened to the women are pretty uh, graphic and I'm not going to say I'm on the show, but it is definitely not just like he rubbed me a little weird. Okay, let's just put it that way. And so it really it shocked her psyche and it shocked her confidence. And I mean, if you're out on a motorcycle, when you're out, even if you're riding a a racehorse or something, when you have something that you're controlling, you need to be in this mindset of like, you know, that you're 100% in in control, your your total confidence level is up and that you can execute the way you need to execute to make things happen the way they need to happen. And if you're even a little off, you're having a bad day, you fought with someone, but imagine getting sexually assaulted. You know what I mean? Like, so she said it totally threw off her game and man, I'm, I was just sickened reading the article and sickened that, you know, th- this person stole this young girl's, not only her livelihood, but her uh, you know, her will to get back on a bike and her comfort level and everything. So it, it's kind of, you know, I hope she gets back on. I think she said in the end of the article that she's starting to kind of get over it and she's kind of coming out of this um, this funk and this, uh, what's it called, like this conflict that she's been in uh, internally. And she finally came out publicly about what had happened because that was another thing. Lots of women don't report things that happen to them like this. And uh, she waited a little bit until she heard that it had happened to an another woman at the same place by the same guy. So she came out publicly and said, this is not okay. We need this to stop. So 
That is basically my news for the week. We need to get this thing started or you're never going to get out of here. I would like to uh, say thank you to Dave and Jennifer for inviting me into their shop. We're going to step now into uh, a place that just uh, I wish I could go to every day. And uh, we're going to I'm going to roll into the uh, interview right here. So thank you all for tuning in. Peace. All right. We are here inside of uh, Cerberus Motorcycle in sunny San Diego, California. <laughs> Not very sunny today. Um, we're here with a couple people who have co-founded this garage. Uh, we'll call it a garage. It's actually a co-op garage. And um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Any order? I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm Jennifer. Alrighty. So that's Dave Hargreaves and Jennifer Gardner, the founders of Cerberus Motorcycle. The first thing we start out always when we're talking to a new guest is their introduction into motorcycling. And I think you might find this interesting. Background in motorcycling. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. I got my first motorcycle-specific job in 93... Late 92, early 93, uh, I was going to go to MMI in Phoenix and discovered that a year and a half of my life, uh, $23,000, and um, basically full-time, going to school full-time from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. every day, and then I still had to have a job to work to pay the bills and stuff, so, you know, you got to get a night job, what are you going to do? Um... I ended up getting a service rider job at Hacienda Harley-Davidson in Scottsdale uh, that paid $14.50 an hour to start. And then I discovered within two months of working in a Harley dealership in the service department that all of that training, all of the PhD program training that MMI offers is free if you are a Harley-Davidson employee. (laughs) So I was getting paid, regular job full-time, and in my spare time, I took all the classes every once or every six months or so, they'd send us to an actual weekend or week-long class in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. So, full certification within two years. Right. And you quit You quit working to pay to go to school. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> much so, nicer way to Much, go. much, much better way to do it. Uh, and then from there, I've worked in a couple of different Harley dealerships, a couple of multi-line dealerships, a couple of small little mom pa shops. And moving back to San Diego in 2010, 2009, yeah. um, figured I'd have no problem getting a job with my experience. Exactly the opposite. <laughs> so uh, Jen said, hey, we have a garage, you have a toolbox, put it out on Craigslist. Cool. Um, I think we were charging $35 an hour Yeah. to do at that time. So that's where it kind of went from there. So that's where it started, working out of the garage at the house. But then what we found was uh, the guys would come over and hang out, and we usually have, you know, frosty adult beverages, and Jen would cook food in the evening, and and it became a hangout thing, and then be that hangout thing morphed into hey while you're sitting there with your teeth in your mouth why don't you go ahead and take these carburetors apart <laughs> and uh everybody was like this is so cool and they then they tell their friends hey man you know you need to do an oil change or you need to change, adjust your chain on your bike bring it over to Dave's place because he'll show you how to do it um 
my favorite one with that was that one guy that had the bike, and I don't remember his name, but he wanted the side covers on his, it was like a CB550, and the side covers were all generally roachy, like old bikes get, you know, the clear coat's all nasty, and the covers are gray and filthy, and I'm like, dude, just take those six bolts out, put it down here on the floor, here's a piece of Scotch-Brite. Take care of that. And and then here's some mother's mag polish. So he's sitting there after about an hour, sitting on the floor, looking like a kid at Christmas, but his hands almost to his elbows are black, because you know how polishing aluminum, everything gets black. Oh, yeah. His, his T-shirt is black. He's got black marks on his face, but here he's got this beautiful hand-polished one side cover out of six on his bike, and he's like, this is so cool, <laughs> with this huge-ass grin on his face. And I'm like, okay, showing people how to do this and making them do it themselves. Look at this. It's like it's like Tom Hanks on Castaway when he made the fire. Right. I did this. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's so that's the feeling, and it was just like we were working out of the house, and we had a good setup, but then the owner of the house passed away, and they had to sell the house for estate and everything else. So we were like, oh. I guess we got to go legitimate and actually find a real spot. So that's what we did. Yeah. And that's when we moved into the Egyptian garage, which is on uh, Euclid and University. And we were there for four years and just grew a lot. You know, it was kind of a learning process for us and everything from there. We went from an 800 square foot garage, maybe 800. No, no. No, No, the garage was was like 250. Yeah. Um, But we we had a couple of sheds out in the backyard that we built so we could... Do some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so we, that's no, really enough. Sc- stuff away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we went from that to a four thousand square foot warehouse. Wow. And slight increase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then we were there for four years. Mm-hmm. Four years, and then we came here, and we've been here now just just over a year. Just Changed the year. name just a little bit. We're Cerberus Moto, and but um, still the same concept. Still doing the membership stuff. Where does yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you about that. First off, Jennifer, yes. your, your foray into motorcycles, where did that come along? You don't, I don't think you worked at many Harley-Davidson dealerships. No. Or, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, when I first um, met Dave, we met online, even though he knew about me since, like, the 90s. Um, <laughs> but the first time I was going to go visit him in Tennessee, he's like, well, you know, he's talking about the motorcycle and stuff. I'm like, cool. We're going to go for a ride, right? You know, so, because I really never had been on motorcycles before. You know, maybe one ride with a friend when I was younger or whatever, but never really into them. And so, riding on the back of his bike, loving it, and that's kind of where I started. But I didn't start working on the motorcycles until about maybe three years ago. I did the seats and stuff for a lot of people, but I've gotten out of that a little bit. But now I actually do work on the motorcycles, and now I have... I do have four. One runs. Hey. <laughs> it's typical. That's but, a ra- that, that one to four ratio is, I, I would say, pretty typical <laughs> in the motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this is still all, basically, I started getting into the motorcycles when we got together six years ago. Yeah. That's great. Now, where does Cerberus come from? The name, well, I know Cerberus is a... Uh, I forget if it was Greek or Roman, yep. got, you know, the three-headed dog. But why Cerberus Moto for your shop? Dave has to explain oh, that. Oh, well. How do I 
go about giving the real story on where Cerberus came from. Um, a prior job that I was involved with back in 2006-2007 in uh, New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. Um, me and a, uh, another gentleman uh, were doing some design work for uh, for another company. We, um, we're, we were working on a motor for uh, another company. They wanted a, a, a quad, a small quad designed around this engine that they had developed. And uh, we did some design work for them. And uh, we helped design the exterior of this engine. It was a uh, inline air-cooled triple, 400 cc's. Uh, super cool little motor, real compact. Um, made about 48 horsepower. Uh, 115 pounds. Just killer little tiny power plant. And uh, we thought it'd be really cool to stick it in a motorcycle. Well, the company that made the motor really only wanted it for a quad. Okay. Kind of sounds like the Yamaha Tri-Z, like, from okay, the back yeah. in the day. Um, oh, hell, it's raining. Oh, boy, is it. You might have to move the black bike. Okay. Uh, for everybody listening, we just witnessed, it was literally like unzipping a zipper from the clouds. That was that was insane. <laughs> so, uh, Dave was talking about a, a tri- uh little triple air cooled triple power yeah, plant that they yeah. were working on. So um long story short, uh we we finished that job and uh we we thought it would be cool to put it in a motorcycle. So we had some technical drawings of the motor and some other stuff and and I discussed the possibility of buying these motors uh from the company that was manufacturing them. And uh designed a bike around it and without going into specifics on the bike because it's neither here nor there um it was going to be a mid-size uh standard think cb 400 super sport 75 cb 400 super sport right uh very similar in dimension very similar in geometry uh but it was going to have this little inline triple in it um I crowdsourced on an, on an online forum uh, that I was a member of, still a member of, but there's not much traffic on it these days because it's been around for a while. Uh, a lot of good guys, a lot of good ideas, um, really cool community. But I crowdsourced by just simply asking a question, hey, if I build this bike in these parameters, what do we call it? So a few people bounced some ideas around and... You know, it was variations on my name or other things. And then one guy, and I, I've got his name written down someplace, and i got to give him props to it. Um, he said, well, that's kind of obvious. You call it the Cerberus 400. And I was like, forehead slap, Cerberus, duh, <laughs> right? Um, so that kind of got solidified. We were going to call the bike the Cerberus 400. Um and then, a couple months later, I threw out, well, okay, so we got the name. We know what we're going to do. We got the concept. Uh, now I need a logo. So anybody anybody artistically inclined want to throw down and uh, help design a logo? Uh, four guys on the same board 
three logos my direction. Uh, one gentleman lives in Belgium, Christian Papa, Papa Zoglakis, and I hope I get his name right. Um, he's a he's a comic book artist, uh, does album covers, does magazines, does book covers. The man does some really cool stuff. He sent me, within 48 hours of me asking, he sent me the current Doghead logo. Yeah. And I like it. And, it fits. And said, there you go. And I fell in love with it immediately. Um, now, the Cerberus 400 project needed capital to get a couple of prototypes built. Uh, made a tentative arrangement to get some motors and some other stuff, but... In many things like this, money is king, and coming up with enough money to build three prototype bikes to prove the design is not as easy as one might think. Right. Uh, so when I moved back to San Diego, uh, that really put the kibosh on doing any kind of a prototype bike and whatnot, because I was going to be living in an apartment and it's not going to have the workspace. And then that's where the making our own shop thing came from. And for the first probably three months here in San Diego, we didn't actually call it anything, even though I personally have been... Cerberus has been associated with me since at least 2008, if not a little sooner than that. Um... We sat down, me and Jen sat down. I'm like, well, what are we going to call the shop? And she's like, we'll call it Cerberus. Cerberus, Dave, was something before it was a shop. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but it did originally come from the idea of the 400 triple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just too good of a name and too excellent of a logo to let go. So yeah. we just turned it into into what we have today. Yeah, that's awesome. That is... Uh, there, there's some esoteric reasons behind why I really love the name Cerberus as well that we could get into, but it's actually on my old live journal someplace, so you can feel free to go and look that up sometime. I'll give you the address, and you can okay. you can read it yourself, and then it's going to be another forehead slopper. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm, I love digging into the past, so that, that's all right with me. So there you go. Cerberus. It wasn't just the name of his dog. It was not his last name. It actually has quite a deep, significant meaning, and it's based on, what else? A motorcycle concept. Um, Before we get further into the shop, Cerberus, um, let's talk hobbies and creative stuff. Uh, We did a little bit of bantering and talking before recording all this about how, you know, motorcycling is the core that everybody in our group flocks to, but stretching out from that it's it's basically like a like a sea urchin and everybody there's something else that everybody does please tell me you guys were in bands or something like back in the 90s or <laughs> like everybody's everybody's tried to write a book be a painter a photographer or or a musician at some point i know there has to be um <laughs> when i left high school and went to san diego state university for a year and a half my thing was going to be uh, aerospace engineering. I was going to go to school to be a engineer. Yeah. Um, my family has been in the aerospace industry since 
the Wright brothers flew. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Um, so it was just kind of a natural thing. And one thing led to another, you know, whatever. Uh, so I did retail and I did this, that, and the other. But I always was into aircraft and airplanes. Uh, I had a pilot's license at 17. Um, I've thrown in helicopters. Just I've done a lot of stuff and could make a lot of money doing it. But We did the... Um the hobby. Oh yeah, model airplanes and stuff like that. So you know, that's part of it. Yeah, the engineering yeah. part of it. Yeah. You, you build stuff. And yeah. uh, I've always been into building things from when I was eight years old, taking my bicycle apart and rattle canning it to building radio controlled airplanes and radio controlled cars and boats and and then, you know, getting into auto mechanics when I was fourteen and learning how to rebuild an engine in a car that a neighbor had given to me. Um, that kind of thing. So it's just a, it's always been kind of a motorsports related yeah. thing. Cause I grew up around it. You know, you grew up in East County, San Diego, you're going to be in motorsports. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. um, when I first moved here from Arkansas, there was still Cajon Speedway out there. Yep. Verona is still there. Yep. Uh, and I know they don't do as much as they used to, but it's still there in some capacity or another. And, uh, I used to autocross down there so yeah yeah down at the Murph autocrossing at the Murph we used to do that yeah Uh, and East County is one of those places where if you have a car in your front yard nobody's really going to complain too much no you can't really do that anywhere else right Right. (laughs) because it's just a fact of life in East County yeah so you know there's that and uh so no, back back good. when we were in high school, I graduated and, and yeah. oh, we had some static difficulty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, the the kind of things that we did, you know, we we were the the gearhead kids and we played with our cars. We cruised Second Street. Uh, I mean, Second Street was a thing. Oh, and a friend of mine is doing. You might be interested in this. A friend of mine from back in the day is doing a, or working on doing a documentary film. And I forget what he's actually calling it, but it's something along the lines of cruising second. Okay. Or something to that effect. I'll have to find it. But he's working on putting this documentary together for what we all did when we were teenagers. In El Cajon? In El Cajon. Yeah, okay. Because it was a huge thing. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, Second Street from, from... I ate all the way up to Maine, which is, what, eight blocks? That's far, yeah. Was on Friday and Saturday nights packed to the gills with custom cars and everything everything you could imagine. And it was a thing that we did. It was, it was, it was a community thing. There was no gangs. There was no... Bullshit. Yeah. It was just everybody was just down there to hang out, have a good time, cruise the girls, and no clicks like they have. You know, nowadays. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say I feel like that was like the way for everybody to come together yes. back then. Oh yeah, you know, because let's look at. I mean, let's be honest. High schools, especially out in East County, you got five high schools out there. I don't know how many now, but at the time there was five. So there was a rivalry between schools, right? There's just natural rivalry between schools. On Second Street? On Second Street? Yeah. No, that stuff didn't exist. You know, especially the rivalry because, you know, the school still had auto shop. Yeah. You know, so all those, you you know, kids used to, you know, I'm going to build this and, you know, show off what they're (laughs) building and stuff. So, you know, we were into the mini trucks and and all that stuff. I mean, I, my mini truck window is still sitting right there. That's from 89. 
All right, so we blabbed a little bit about mini trucks and all that cool stuff that was in back then. And Dave, I know you're down at the big three this weekend. Don't get a mini truck, man. Don't do it. All right, let's get back to our conversation. But anyway, uh, so I mean, we, we, I still have got <laughs> long-term friendships with people from back in the mini truck days. We are, that's, yeah, that's something that I don't think happens too much anymore. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's just a, it was a cool thing and it was low key and it, we were, you know, parents would be like, you know, we're under 18 and, and we're out until nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And our parents knew where we were, yeah. you know, we were down a second street cruising, Yeah, <laughs> you know, cause that's what Most, they did when they were kids. Yeah. You didn't need a cell phone or no, track your no. kid to know where they were. No, not yeah. at all. Man, what a time, what a time. Now we're going to talk about Dave's past and maybe his most interesting career. Talk about your past a little bit because um, I don't know if any, if everybody is aware of the fact that you used to work. You, you mentioned um, that you were down in Louisiana for a little bit. Mm. You used to work at a company called Confederate. Yes. And down there, they made this little bo- motorcycle that hit the uh, the newsstands and drove everybody crazy. In Simi- April of 2005. Yeah, similar to Modus, you know, because it's an American it's an American motorcycle. Well, and here Modus, Brian Case from Modus was one of our. He well, he was the graphic computer designer. Uh, so Brian Case came to work for Confederate to do all the computer end because our normal design process was literally pens and pencils on bar napkins. That's how those bikes were designed. That's how they were (laughs) conceived. Uh, But to do something as outside the box as the Wraith, it required a computer. So Brian Case was the guy. Yeah, you need a. I'm guessing SolidWorks or something where yep. you can play with metals. Yeah, the know. bike the bike was done in, in SolidWorks. Yeah, Brian Case and his company that he had in Pittsburgh at the time. They're right. the ones who did all that. So you you mentioned April of <clears throat> of 2005 because I was just thinking back to September of 2005 uh, when Katrina hit. Yes. Obviously, that changed. Your life and it changed your your workplace uh, just just a hair, <laughs> just just a touch. Yeah. Right. How long how long were you down in working? You know, how long have, were you guys down there working? And and, and I that? personally went moved to New Orleans in late two thousand three. Okay. Uh, and I moved to New Orleans specifically to get the job at Confederate. Okay. Um, I had seen a Confederate. Hellcat, uh-huh. when I was working at Hacienda Harley-Davidson in Scottsdale, I had seen one of them on a Sunday uh, in probably 98, 98, nine, early 99. Two guys rolled into the parking lot one, one afternoon, one guy riding an Exile, one guy riding a Confederate Hellcat. Fell in love with both bikes, but when I got to look into the Hellcat, I was like, I have to work for these guys. I I don't want to work in a Harley dealer anymore. This this is what I got to do. 
And at Harley, were, were you a service tech? I or? was a service manager. At the okay, time. service manager. Yeah. Um, so your big plan was just to phone up Confederate and see yeah. if they needed a yeah mechanic, pretty or much, a service pretty manager much. or something. Uh, I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't care. A janitor, I, whatever. I, 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 I I'd push be a broom. This, yeah. I'd push a broom. Yeah. So um, in probably early 2003, I was invited by a friend to come down and spend Mardi Gras. Oh. And uh, so I went down to Mardi Gras first time. I've been to, to New Orleans. Uh, the moment I put my feet on the ground in the city, I fell in love with it. Yeah. And I've lived in a few different places besides San Diego. And I love San Diego, but the moment my feet hit the ground in New Orleans, I was home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so three months later, I packed all my shit. And just moved to New Orleans. Just yeah. said, nope, I'm going to go there. And uh, it took about three months to actually get them to hire me. <laughs> and, uh, but So that's, I, I did it. And, uh, you know, you could, you could wax nostalgic and everything and say, you know, that was my dream job. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds kind of silly, but it was. That was my dream job. Yeah. Uh, there are very few people on the planet. <laughs> there are very few people in the motorcycle industry. As big as motorcycle industry is, very few people have actually ever even laid eyeballs on a Confederate. Yeah. On an actual Confederate in the flesh. Even fewer have ridden them. Um. Did you get to do that, Dave? Did you? <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. He's actually in a movie. Oh, no kidding. So, <laughs> but you can't see his face or anything. Right. So no, that was the thing. And then uh, when Katrina hit, <clears throat> wiped out the factory. Uh, we all evacuated to Shreveport, Louisiana, and. Uh, Within probably three weeks, four weeks, uh, we the seven of us that worked there found that we no longer had jobs. So um, it changed a life perspective in a big way. Uh, my daughter was born in February the next year. And uh, I stayed in Louisiana, stayed in New Orleans. And uh, about... Uh, ten months after my daughter was born, uh, we decided to leave yeah. New Orleans because it just was not a good environment anymore. Right. Which was super painful to do because New Orleans was home. Yeah. And I, I remember for the longest time, for five years after people were talking about the environment down there and New Orleans has never, I don't know about now, it's been, you know, been over ten years, but... Uh, how long it took for New Orleans because it was such an old city to re- recover and heal and even though it's a you know over time that'll be a small scar but at the time I'm guessing that it was pretty devastating the it, whole the whole city the was. whole county I mean everything was it, it was yeah so you guys you guys packed up and as from what I know to Confederate did they move to Alabama or something uh, about a year later it, it took a solid year if not a little more, because um, I've kept tabs on the company. I, I, I pay attention. Um, still love them. Uh, 
But it took about a year for them to finally move, and they moved to Birmingham. And uh, it took them probably another year before they actually started making things again. Yeah. Um, and they're doing some pretty cool stuff. Not the same thing that we were doing before, which is cool. They're moving along. Uh, but it's changed. It's It's gone a different direction. Yeah. Uh, Brian Case, like I said, went off and started Modus. And it's a phenomenal bike, and it's an amazing thing that he has done. He started a motorcycle company from the ground up. Confederates used highly modified, highly tweaked SNS V twin motors uh, in various forms. Uh, Modus is completely. One hundred percent engine up is yeah. made specifically for that bike, and yeah. that is a huge feat. Yeah, huge feat. Um, and it's a V four. I mean, it's something that right. It's a V four, yeah. and it's something that uh, isn't typical when you think of Indian and Harley and even SNS. It's twin. It's always been American twins. Yada yada. Yeah. And so, yeah, actually, yeah. to design. I can see where that is a it's a big um, a, a, quite an undertaking you know what I mean so that oh yeah I agree that that's pretty cool although I it's funny so many people talk about Modus and uh, it's it was so crazy because Confederate for a while was like that bike that uh, the American made bike that was out of everybody's price range pretty much yes but just so bitching to look at and I feel like Modus's are still out of people's price range I don't feel like they have the same Impact that the Confederate had just because of it had like the uh, well, they had the Hellcat, didn't they have a P51? Yeah, that's one of the newer ones. The, yeah, the, okay. the P51 fighter, yeah. um, they got a couple other ones. I mean, uh, it's just it's they're they were so unconventional looking, yes, and they you know, it, it's, it's what I like about the Magpuls, you know, the Ronins, mm-hmm. and the way everything looks on those, and all, those are are not from the ground up either, but still, like, well, the Wraith. The, the, when we did the Wraith, the Wraith was so far outside of the box of anything that anybody anywhere had done. Yeah. Um, but even that being said, there was still a whole lot of golden era styling yeah. to it. There was a lot of Vincent in there. There's a right. lot of Bruce, uh, Bruce Superiors in it. Yeah. Um, you can see the Art Deco if you really do. Oh, very, break it down, very Art Deco, very Bauhaus yeah. um, in design. Uh, that design language is carried over into the current Confederates. Um, they've gotten away from the typical architecture of you know a, a Harley V twin, which yeah. is what the Hellcat really was. Yeah. Um, but then bikes like the Ronin, uh, it is so incredibly obvious that. It can trace its lineage to the Wraith. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only one. The Lotus is another okay. one that traces. I mean, it's obvious. So the Wraith, the Wraith uh, created an entire new design language and design culture in motorcycles. And it's genuinely. American. Yeah. It, it really is. Uh, and there's a whole 
dissertation available online on motorcycle design and and stuff that you can look up by looking up uh, JT Nesbitt's name. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know he was one of the principal design. He was he, the he was artist behind. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. Um. So that, no, it changed. It changed a lot of stuff, and uh, it was really cool to be part of that at the beginning. Right. It, it just you know it's again that that Tom Hanks moment. You know, we did this. Look what we did. <laughs> yeah. Um. So no, it was it was an incredible time of life. I would not change anything for it. Um, completely devastating and heartbreaking. Oh yeah. At the same time. Right. Um, so, and well, and I think probably being in that environment and looking at some of the pictures, we're here in the shop, we're here in Cerberus motor right now and looking at some of the pictures, um, Dave and Jennifer are sharing a, a mag from 2005 showing the shop before Katrina hit. And it's much of the same stuff that you see in here. I mean, the organization, the, the, the workspace, I mean, the way that you guys have everything laid out, I mean, all that stuff kind of seems like it's transferred over into your little shop here. Um, I think it's time we talk about Cerberus because we've said it's a, we've said it's a, a garage and you guys kind of gave its origin, started out in your garage and you needed, jumped into a giant 4,000 foot uh, space yeah. for a little bit. But what is it? I, I mean, basically, um, in a, in a nutshell, like what is Cerberus Motor and, and why is it so important? I'll give you the hard question. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what Cerberus Moto is, it's a co-op. So you get to bring your bike here into our shop and become a member. So it's kind of a, a monthly fee, uh, which is a lot cheaper than paying a mechanic hourly. So basically our oh, monthly yeah. fee, it's 250 a month. But think of it of the other way around. You'll be paying a mechanic maybe three hours of work that equals out that. But with here, you get the whole month to work on your bike. Yeah. We're open 12 to 9 every day except Wednesday. So we're even open on weekends. Right now, we have two members in here right now working on their bikes. And you get to use the tools, all the equipment, uh, Dave's knowledge, and anything you want to do. So, you know, we have people that come in that just do a little bit of maintenance. Or in John's case that's back there, he has completely rebuilt his whole bike. Right. And yeah, you can't do that for 250 bucks at a mechanic. They might, like you said, take a look at it for a couple hours. But when you say, well, I want to change this. And then, now we're talking thousands of bucks. Thousands and thousands yeah. of bucks. So, yeah, like John's bike, that's probably easily for what he's doing and what he's still planning. He's he's not even at the painting stage. Right. Um, his is probably a good, if he took it somewhere else, they're looking about six dollars to $10,000. Good grief. Yeah. So when you chalk up even six months here, you're already... You're at a huge discount, and you've done it yourself. And I mean, you've done it yourself, yes. And we and the way Dave teaches, because a lot of people come in here and they're like, "Well, I, I don't know how to do maintenance. I don't know how to work on a bike." It's like, well, the way Dave teaches it is, he goes, "Okay, do this, this, and this, and then stop. Come find me. Let me see what you've done. Make sure you've done it right. And if you have, then okay, now do this, this, and this." Yeah. We try to do as much hands off as possible. It's a as much verbal. Um, tutelage is possible. Uh, we have computers in here so people can look up anything that they need to. If they need a shop manual, we have a library of shop manuals on computer and in actual paper form. And But it's just a lot of fun to have people just come in and learn. And we've, and I 
being a girl working on motorcycles, I really push girls coming in because girls are so taken advantage of by mechanics terribly. So by coming in here, working on their bikes, they feel so much better um, knowing that they did it themselves. And if they have the problem again, they know how to fix it. Right. And I, I think that's important too. I have a, I have a little daughter. We saw you guys at the uh, flat track event, the mm-hmm. Ivy League event. Yep. And um, I'm going to pause this real quick. Right, we had a siren go by. I hate when I'm listening to other shows, and I think I'm like in the car, and I think they're So, but my daughter and I, uh, I brought her to the um, flat track event, and I thought it was really cool. And you know, Dave gave her a sticker, and she's held onto that thing. And I want to expose her because I the same thing as you do. Even if she never doesn't ever end up. I want her to be comfortable around it. And what you said about being hands-off and verbal, I think part of working on a motorcycle and, and even rebuilding or doing maintenance is you could have someone tell you how, how to do it, but you don't know what it's going to feel like when a spring tries to jump out, a clutch yeah. spring or a fork spring, yeah. unless you do it. So yeah. when it pops out and like pokes your eye out, you're, you know, oh, what happened? But if there's someone's telling you, hey, do this, and you feel it, there yeah. you go. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do actually think that's a pretty important aspect of... And he'd warn you, too. It's like, yeah, no, keep your hand on that. So right, it's right. going to jump across the room. Yeah. So, yeah, when you when you try to do this stuff in your garage, uh, the first time, if you don't lose an eye or a finger, you're, you're in good shape. But yeah. at least here you know that you're guaranteed that everything's going to go right. And one thing also about why it's worked so well for us is because San Diego is a lot of apartments. So people don't... and. Because it's great weather, there's a lot of motorcycles, everyone's using them, and, but they're not allowed to work on their bikes in their space, or their garage is too packed, or they don't have the tools, because a lot of things require special tools. Now, yeah, you can have your good toolbox, but sometimes you just need that special tool, and we have all that here for you, and we have the knowledge to go along with it, but, you know, it's worked well because you get to leave your bike here and you don't have to have it all in your garage. And also one thing a lot of people say is like, okay, when you're sitting in your garage by yourself with your beer in hand and you're staring at your bike and you're just staring at your bike and you have no one to help you or talk with you or here, yeah, you can still have a beer in your hand staring at your bike, but a lot of other people are going to help you. It's like, hey, why don't you try this or, you know, how about this idea? And we bounce a lot of ideas. A lot of the members bounce off ideas and something a member does Another member will look at it as like, ooh, I like that. How'd you do that? Or where'd you buy that? You know, I like that idea. And that's that's where everyone helps each other in here. And that's what we like. Right. And that's, that is important. And I can I can attest to being being alone. It's funny, living in L.A., there's also a lot of motorcycles and stuff. And there's co-ops. But yeah. most of the time, I'm alone. And, yeah, when you... Just looking around here, around your guy's shop, I, everything is inspiring. And that can be troublesome or it can be just awesome because, like you said, where did you get that? Oh, Dave told me, like, 53 different things on one bike, where, where it came from, how it got that way. You, you would have never known. And yeah. the Internet, for all the good that it does, it's a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. If you're using it for to look up parts or inspiration, like you said, there's nothing like having somebody here that can... Yeah, and, and the internet too. We have so many people. It's like, well, yeah, I looked up on YouTube on how to do this. It's like, okay, so let me show you how to do it the right, right yeah. way, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, we've seen like people teaching on YouTube. Okay, so this is how you're wiring, and here's a wire nut. And so, just looking at that, I'm like, ah, 
yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Where we teach, you know, and I do a lot of the wiring here, so I help teach people how to do it correctly. Okay. So great. And I was a uh, couple of couple of things. How uh, roughly off the top of your head, do you know how many members you have here? Uh, right now, we have ten. Ten. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And I'm assuming each one has about twelve bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Not in here. <laughs> I don't allow that. You get one bike. You get okay. one bike, and you get one part spin, which is you know a huge part spin, and areas to store everything. So. We try, it is one yeah. bike, yeah, because our space, it is big, but at the same time, it's small. Yeah. And that's how we can fit, we can probably get up to, once we move our space around, we can get 20 members in here. Yeah. Um, we're in the process of getting some of the customer bikes out of here, um, so we can have more of that space, so. And then, will you guys, um, so you have 10 members, mm-hmm. You do you do, you, okay, you guys do hands-on while you're here, mm-hmm. um, how do I do this? You got Dave right there. You yeah. you help with wiring. Do yeah. you guys do clinics or? Yes. Um, we haven't since we were working on Athena, um, the bike that we built for WD-40. We kind of put the, um, the workshops on hold because we just didn't have time. We were doing those on Wednesday nights. But probably in the next two months, we're, we're going to start those back up again. Our more The, the one that people like the most was um, intro into motorcycle maintenance. And so that was for a lot of the newbies, learning how to, you know, check their chain, adjust it, do oil changes, and they would do it on their bike. Right. So we weren't just showing them on a donor bike. They were actually doing it on their bike. There will be some of the workshops where we will be doing it on a donor bike or donor things because not everyone needs maintenance right at that point or not everyone needs their carbs adjusted or cleaned. Um so we're going to do a little bit more of that as it comes along. But, yeah, we do do the workshops. Um, it's all – when the dates do come up, it'll all be on the website. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm going to make sure people know. And say – I mean, um, I don't know if you guys have like a, a per diem. Say somebody breaks down or they're in town and they need help. Do you guys do like a per diem? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. Cool. we have had that where people are like – I'm just going through town right now, and yeah, I broke down. I need this and this. And so we do We do not carry parts in our shop, though. We right. do order all parts. If it's a weekday, then yeah, we can get the parts pretty much from um, our distributor that we use. We can usually get them that day. Um, so yeah, most of the time we can get it out in a day or two. You know, yeah. Hopefully they're stuck you know, here for a little bit. We've actually had some people... We had these two guys who were traveling from... Alaska down to the tip of South America. Right. And they stopped at our shop, needed new tires and some other stuff. They ended up staying for four days and got work done on their bike. And um, and it just helped because they knew that we were there and that's where it was a good stop for them. Yeah. But we do do a lot of people is, is per day. So That's right. Um, but most of the time... A lot of them, it's like once they come in for the per day, it's like, oh, I just need this and this. And then they're like, then Dave looks at their bike. It's like, yeah, you kind of need this, this, and this. But it's being truthful and honest, not trying right. to. Right. But we're our big thing is we want you safe on the road yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. So a lot of people end up turning into a monthly membership right. so they can get, get it just right. Yeah, but if you if you are in a fix or like I know some people like you know I I also follow the uh, Cafe Racer podcast mm-hmm. and I know those guys sat around and talked about their trucks and going doing this and that so so much and Jessica finally said hey I want to get my carbs done mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. she put up a lot of pics of her down here yep in uh, doing her carbs and I thought well. 
so and then she came the one day and used the vapor honer for one go. whole day. So yeah. Okay. Oh well, yeah, the yeah. whole day. Yeah. I was going to ask <laughs> was if you awesome. guys. Chem dipped those or what? They were so beautiful. Did she? No, no that she, was all the vapor. Oh, that, okay, yeah. so she took those parts that she did. She cleaned them at home because I told her that I wanted them all degreased and everything, no oils or anything. Oh yeah. yeah. So she brought them down all clean in a box, and she stood here all day. She got here at noon, mm-hmm. right at noon, and she was here until about eight o'clock at night, and all that stuff looks yeah bitching. Yeah. But that's the beauty of that machine. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, I took a photo. I'll put it up with a post uh, of this podcast episode when it comes out. But the Vapor Honer, uh, I've got some examples that uh, Jennifer whipped out and I got some pictures of. That thing is a freaking amazing. <laughs> so that's, My favorite machine in the whole shop. <laughs> yeah. So that explains it. I was like, did she come to Because I was thinking her bike is... You know, not brand new, and those things just looked way too clean. I wasn't sure if she chem dipped them or what. Mm-hmm. Vapor honer. Okay, yep. that thing is so awesome. Yeah. Um, so, getting a Cerberus, if somebody's interested, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put all this in the um, show notes and everything, but if they want to get a hold of you, do you guys want to throw out a website? Can they just visit CerberusMoto.com? Yep. Okay. Um, there's Cer- ha- well, there's CerberusMoto.com, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. So but the serversmoto.com will have a section on membership and it tells you what we do and mm-hmm. what the prices are. Um, but we also like host rides on Sundays. Um, people can have their bike meets here if they want to. I'm going to get back into maybe once every two months have our um, Cerberus Saturday where I make a whole bunch of food and people come mm. and hang out and stuff like that. So Rad. And that's a lot of fun. All right, people, we're an hour into the show. Are you getting a feel for what Cerberus Moto is all about? I hope you are. And coming up next, what would an interview be without finding out what people have ridden in the past? If if it's not going to take six hours, (laughs) what motorcycles have you owned and and do you currently own? Oh, wow. (laughs) Want me to go Uh first because I'm flipping? Why don't you go first? (laughs) Um, I have a 2009 Honda Rebel. That's the bike that does run. Okay. Um, when I got it, um, it was a trade-in at Sweetwater Harley. thing was completely painted with matte black paint and dent in the tank. It ran, so that was fine. Took it all, cleaned it all up in the vapor honer, fixed the dent, um, changed the clutch, and then repainted it. Yeah. So now it has spider web on it. And when it, you everything. say everything was painted, you mean like everything. everything. The <laughs> shocks... All the um, the headlight bracket, everything that was basically um, chrome, it was painted. Um, everything, and yeah, all spray can on the bike. They didn't take it off the bike and spray right. can it. They spray can the whole thing. The muffler still has the the matte black on it, yeah. which is fine. I'm gonna guess some minimal taping. Yeah, <laughs> no taping whatsoever. Oh, no, 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 taping. no, no. They taping. literally just wow. spray painted just the whole it thing because the it was on. There was still paint on. Um, the rims, there was a little bit on the rotors. Yeah, it was just everywhere. Wow. Um, I do have a, which I always come the monkey. 81. Uh, 81. CM450. CM450 Matic, And basically, it's, we call it the monkey. You describe that better than I do. Uh, we just have the bag. It's, it's, <laughs> the project started out as a bobber conversion. Um, got, Abandoned by the original project, 
person uh, for many reasons. It wasn't really a big thing, and uh, we retained it and got to screwing around with a bunch of random parts that we had laying around and ended up, it's a cafe bobber hybrid. Uh, so My little Frankenstein bike. Basically. So it's still kind of got a bobber look to it with a solo seat with little springs. Uh, the rear fender is attached to the swing arm in the back. Uh, it's been lowered, uh, but it's got clip-ons and rear sets and supermoto wheels. So from that description, it's just a pile of parts. Uh, <laughs> it's probably, though, one of the most favorite bikes for almost everybody that comes in, though. They look at it and just go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it looks so uncomfortable, but it's really, really, really comfortable to sit on. Yeah, I just had to write myself a note to take a picture of the seat because you would not believe how comfy a solid metal seat could be. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how many hours I could yeah. go in it, but it, it felt like I could yeah. sit all day in that thing. Because it has the springs underneath, oh so that God. helps it a little bit more. Yeah. But oh. I also have a Batavis that's in pieces. Um, and then the black and white. And that's another, that's a CM or a CB450 Hawk. Yeah. As well. And that's in pieces. And that's in pieces. Uh, it's not an automatic. It's not a Hondomatic. It's a regular uh, six-speed Hawk. Okay. Uh, but the bodywork on it has been all swapped out. We've got a, a Honda 354 tank. So it's the toaster tank with the knee cutouts. Uh, and then it's got full-length fenders on it. So it's very 50s in its look. Even though it's a early '80s Honda, uh, it's gonna be a pretty little bike. I've got a picture of it mocked up somewhere, uh, but it's gonna be a pretty little bike, uh, and that'll be more of a of a cruise thing. You know, when we go out with our with our riding group, and they're all riding cruisers and and Harleys and Shadows and stuff. We'll take that one out because it's more that style, more yeah. that speed. Yeah, uh, and to let you all know. I got my license a year and a half ago, the Honda Rebel, first bike that's run, so I have only been actually riding for the past month. Nice. So, it's been fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Have you, up until then, you were a uh, passenger then? Yep. Nice. Yeah. How's it feel to get off and get on, well, to get off the back and get on the front? Oh, it's wonderful. Have you ridden Dave around? <laughs> no, no, not for even. He's ridden me on the Honda Rebel right, so we right. can get to the spot so I can practice there when I was practicing. But um, two last weekend mm-hmm. is the first time I went a further distance. Nice. We went from here. It was our newbie ride. We had one other girl that came with us, and we went all the way to Balboa. We stopped at Torque Moto Cafe, and then we went to Balboa Park because it was the Antique Motorcycle Club. Okay, old dogs. The which, Perros Viejos. Perros Viejos. I can never say it. But they have all, it has to be, your bike has to be 35 years or older. Okay. And so, so they... It's 85 or older, something like that? 87 or older? Yeah. Think, yeah, okay. Think, but yeah. wonderful group of guys and beautiful bikes. I mean, absolutely beautiful bikes. And they meet every Saturday at um, Waterfront in okay. the morning, really early. Yeah. They're gone by nine. Oh. So, yeah, really early. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But no, so we ended up there and then came back and it was a fun time. Yeah. It was a great ride. How'd it ride? Oh, wonderful. So, Dave, it's you're, good, you're it's 20 good to keep million sure. bikes. 
Yeah, Dave. Yeah, you, it might yeah we won't too. go into all the bikes. I've had everything <laughs> from my, my first bike that I bought back in, oh, God, that was 91, I think. I bought a CB350, 1973 CB350, out of the newspaper, if that gives you any idea. <laughs> newspaper ad. Um, me and my dad went and picked it up, brought it back to the house, and we geeked out on it all weekend, getting this thing all tuned up and running and everything. Um, paid $300 for it, uh, took it home, worked on it, and I rode that bike every day for two and a half years straight in Sedona, Arizona. Um, rain, sleet, snow, didn't matter. Uh, I rode that thing every day. Yeah. I still own that bike. Uh, it's actually in pieces right now in storage. It needs to be gone through again, but I've owned that bike. That was my first bike. I still have it. Uh, in the interim, I've had a Sportster. I've had a Buell. I've had a Dyna. Um, several other bikes. My second bike that I actually bought bought um, was my, is my CB750. Uh, it's the devil bitch. She's actually in the garage at the house right now. Um, that's the one that I rode on the first time. Yeah. And I um, had to make a seat for it so I could ride on it when I was in Tennessee. So that was my first seat I ever made. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I've got a, I've got an 83 GL 1100. Um, back before they couple, were, I got, I got, uh, I got, there's seven or eight bikes. I don't even remember what all of them are. <laughs> I've got a 63 uh, Pook Twingle. Oh, wow. Uh, got a 59 Honda Super Cub, which is super cool. Uh, we just acquired this uh, 64 CB77 Super Hawk sitting here in the shop, and that's exactly how we found it in a barn in Poway. Um, that thing looks pretty rad. Love it. I've always wanted one of those. Uh, so that bike's going to be part of my permanent collection. Um, but yeah, it's, I've had all kinds of things. Uh, well, we're going to cut Dave off right there because we don't have six hours to record all the stuff that he's had, but guaranteed he's had quite a few bikes and that was just a handful of the ones that he's had over the years. Uh, thank you, Dave and Jennifer for sharing your stories with us. We're going to talk a little bit. We talked for five hours, guys, at the shop. Uh, I was there all afternoon, and we talked about so much stuff. I only recorded an hour and a half of the five hours, but we really got into a talk about parts and technical aspects of bikes, and I think right now we're going to delve into that a little bit. We're going to talk to Dave about why he likes these older bikes. I still keep going back to the to the seventies Hondas though. Yeah. For reasons like we talked about. Yeah. Parts availability and usability. Usability is a big thing. You know, some of the other stuff that the vintage and antique bikes that people are really into, they're cool and all, and you can take them out maybe once a weekend. Uh, but it takes a lot of money and a lot of patience and you really have to know what you're doing. Uh you still need to know what you're doing with even the older Hondas, but it's it's such a less painful experience to own an old Honda than almost anything else, simply because of the parts availability and the fact that there was a million of them, and the right. fact that a million different people 
mucked around with them yeah. back in the day. So yeah. all the all the bad stuff has been figured out by this point. Right. You know. And- you and I had kind of chatted about the similarity between like Chevy 305s and 350s being like, you know, the same part from 72 will fit like a 92. Yeah. Like you're saying, thousands of them on the roads. And so they've, they've had the bugs ironed out of them. And, you know, there are parts to be had. I'm sure that like scrapyards, there's even we were, a ton of parts. We were, looking, we were looking for a part the other day for one of the CB750s that we're working on. Um, and it was like, oh, we're never going to find that part. It's just one of those things. That's not going to be out there. <laughs> to give you exactly what it was. So the adjuster on the valve uh, adjusters on the um, 750. So the little stud and the nut. Right. On the rocker arm. Right. The adjuster. Okay, so this bike's over 40 years old, right? Yeah, you never need to replace those. So what's a what's a possibility of that being a, a, a part? Yeah. Yeah. On the Honda, what I would like to call the deep web of Honda parts, <laughs> um, that is actually a current part that crosses over to the latest version. Was it 2003 Honda Civic? Wow. It's the same part. Same part number. What do they use it for on the Civic? Same thing. No way. It's a valve adjuster. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. You, you're, If you know where to look, it's amazing where some of these parts cross over. Yeah. And it's, that same part is actually in my 1963 Superhawk. Its valve adjusters are the exact same part. So they've been using them for 50-ish years, it sounds yes. like, or something yes. so, along those lines. Yeah, and Dave has told me about his Honda network, but I'm going to get clubbed over the head if I disclose it, so I'm going to keep it quiet. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like you know where to draw from you know, when you need stuff like that, and that's just that's awesome. That's one reason why when we were looking around the shop, I noticed a lot of you know, CB stuff. And I think that's makes a lot of sense. Why yeah. it does. And you know, there's, there's a little bit of derision online about, you know, the, the CBs being too common, uh, too hipsterish. Um, you know, like on bike X, if, Oh God, another CB really, it's because there's a million of them out there. They're infinitely Tweakable. Yeah. There's yeah. so many different things you can do with them. They're like a pair of pants. I mean, yeah. and you never get down on people for wearing pants. You know, I've got <laughs> I've got a, a fairly original stock-ish CB750 Supersport sitting here that we that we went through and, and restored. We've got another one that is now a what we would call a retro mod that's got modern suspension and wheels on it. We've got two other ones. This one sitting here is 13 feet long. Yeah, with a 16 inch over Springer on it. Okay. The, no, you can do anything you want to with these bikes. Yeah, I, I could actually barely fit that one in the frame to take a picture of it. it was, it's so long. <laughs> but yeah, no. And when I saw that it was a, not a not a Triumph or a Harley motor, yeah. it blew my mind. Yeah, somebody's got a kick-ass CB motor in that thing and could wheelie all day long if he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's incredible. Um, so you, we'll, we'll just say you've owned one of everything. Uh, and just assume that that's, that's the correct. Uh, what is your has been or is your favorite? Oh, well, the devil bitch has its name for a reason. Um, 
but it is still probably hands down my favorite bike. Okay. Um, I mean, my current bike that I'm riding around right now is a 99 BMW F650. Oh, okay. Uh, a Funduro, uh, which is BMW's first foray into the whole ADV segment. Yeah. Is, it a, is it a Dakar version? Or? No, 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 okay. no. It's not a Dakar. Um, no, it's the first one, which has actually got a Rotax motor in it. It's the same thing as the Aprilia. Okay. Aprilia built it. Yes. BMW licensed I it. Remember, I remember that. So that's the first ADV bike that, that BMW put yeah. out. Uh, it's, it's an amazing bike. It really is. A single cruise at 90 mile an hour for a 650 single. It'll cruise at 90 mile an hour, and it doesn't complain. Yeah. Um, I'm not in love with the bodywork. It's a little too organic and suppository-looking for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they made that 450 motocross bike that just looked too yeah. weird. Yeah. Sprockets design, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't go over. They, their stuff like that it doesn't go over well at first. It takes a while. It's weird that everybody copies the GS now because... Exactly. There are other bikes, yeah, they don't... Well, that's so like, well. okay, so when the F650... Changed over to the F650 GS with the tank under the seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's a phenomenal looking bike. Yeah, yeah. And all of the GSs since then follow that design. Yeah. Well, okay, so you like that bike. All the other, all the Japanese ADV bikes look like uh, an SV or a, or what's the other, the big one right now? The, the Yamaha, or not the Yamaha, the Suzuki. The, uh, the V-Strom? The V-Stroms. Okay, so they all have that sport bikey looking yeah. with the pointy headlight. Yeah. And, and I don't really dig that look either. Yeah. But then Honda dropped their CB500X. I like that. Which looks like a mini GS. Yeah. It's a phenomenal little bike. Yeah. Uh, and I've been reading some rave reviews on that one. Yeah, the NC700X or whatever. The NC700X looks, is another yeah. great. No. Um, and I really like that, that a couple of the companies are coming out with the smaller bikes. BMW is coming out with a 350 <laughs> yeah. ADV bike. The G310GS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, CSC, who I know they have a bad reputation for being made of aluminum cans and everything else, but they have that <laughs> CSC... Uh, I forget what it's called, but their little enduro bike looked just like you shrunk a, a GS. Oh yeah, the, that, yeah, that little two fifty. Oh shit! Oh no, it's a great yeah. little bike, and I and I know a few people that are in the um, media, the motorcycle media industry, and I know a couple people that've ridden that one. And of course, you first look at it, and it's like, oh, this is kind of a cheap piece of crap. Uh, how well is this thing going to hold up? You know, is it going to last through my test rides? Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> The, the last the last guy I knew that rode one of those, um, when he got it, he had that same impression when he first saw it, and he got on it, and he was like, okay, yeah, this thing's not going to last, but the damn bike had 8,000 miles on the clock already. That's pretty good. And he was like, whoa, wait a second. This is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and it gets great mileage. Yeah. It's nice and small. It's clickable, especially in Southern California. Yeah. It's not going to... Those dudes that ride from Alaska down to, you know, the tip of Argentina, it might not work for, but your typical ADV guys are going to... Sorry to say it, but they're going to Starbucks, and yes. 8,000 miles is, is a pretty yes. good... Uh, oh, well, and to put that in perspective, the, the two guys, uh, Marcus and uh, Constantine from Germany, uh, they were riding a... Marcus was riding an F650 Funduro, and Constantine was riding a 700 uh, Trans Alp. Mm-hmm. So both bikes were not spring chickens. Yeah. 
and they did, I, I forget what it was, 12,000 yeah, kilometers? It's, it's a while, yeah. Uh, like over an eight-month time period? Uh, amazing. Uh, and I hate to say it, but a lot of these newer bikes, I don't think, can do that. <laughs> There's way too many electronics, yeah. way too many things to go wrong on them anymore. Yeah, not without needing like a service or something in, the, in between or having some sensor malfunction. That's, exactly. Yeah. That's one thing about BMWs is I write all the technical data. I love, you know, the fact that whenever I read their thing, it's innovative. It's this, it's that. But then when you get on the forums... But, when, in- but when you need a proprietary computer system to diagnose what should be a simple runnability issue, hmm. the only way you get access to that computer system is through the dealership. And that yeah. takes that to me. That takes the fun out of motorcycling. Yeah, I like working on them. And I've seen so many pictures of guys who actually do some crazy ADV stuff, and then something's wrong. And it, the next picture you see is them like on the forums with their, pardon me, their bike apart, asking, "Hey, does anybody know what the hell this this thing is right here? It's like plugs in here." And yeah, like. Electronic Central when yeah. people yeah. people who did this long before electronics, you know. Yes. So yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, and I mean, there's some great technical innovations, you know, like ABS and and traction control and all this other stuff, which, uh, in a way, I think it's completely unnecessary on a motorcycle. I mean, motorcycles have been around for over a hundred years, over a hundred years, and we didn't need that shit until just the last ten years or so. Yeah. So I I I just don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't want. To, yeah, I don't want to get into this because I I, I, <laughs> I could go on for hours about this too. But I, I harp on it. I I just read though that in like five countries it's mandatory. I mean ABS is becoming mandatory in a lot of places, but even traction control and uh, you know ABS and all that stuff is becoming mandatory. And, well, and and I get the whole emission controls and the computerized ignition systems and fuel injection and everything else. It's it's a good thing, and it's a great thing. And you know when you take. When you take my CB750 in stock form, 750cc in line four, putting out Honda stock number 68 horse at the crank. Okay, so once you get through the driveline, back tire, and everything else, you're probably more around 50, right? So the BMW 650 single that I've got, uh, that one, its numbers are saying that it's like 48 to 52 horsepower. On a 650 sink, which is pretty good. Yeah. You extrapolate that to a four-cylinder motor, that's some, that's some good horsepower. Yeah. Right? Well, like the the little Honda 500X, it's a 500 twin, and that thing's putting out four more horsepower than my BMW puts out. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and that's because of fuel injection and engine management software. Yeah. And it gets better gas mileage. And its emissions are better. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with it as far as the computer systems. It's when it gets down to the point with like a, a, a brand new Goldwing. It's got three miles of wires on board. It's got three computers <laughs> running the bike. Yeah. Uh, Fly-by-wire with the throttle, there's no hard linkage. Yeah. Uh, some of the new bikes don't even have a hard linkage between your brake levers and your calipers. Right. It's computer controlled. Yeah. You know, thank you. Yeah, that stuff, it, it's that scary. Scares, that scares yeah. me. 
I'm, I'm into the double uh, redundant like braking systems when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, I, I want. I don't care if the computer controls it, but if the computer goes dead, I want something. The ability, in yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah. I break a if I break a clutch cable, at least I can fix it on the side of the road. Yeah. If if I lose a, a solenoid or a hydraulic seal or, or computer sensor, yeah, that's controlling that thing. Yeah, I'm calling a tow truck, and I'm 300 miles from anything. No, I'm. Give me a 77 CB750. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. And there's a there's a reason that a lot of uh, dirt bikes don't have crazy electronics. They're starting. They're trickling in. It's oddly mm-hmm. enough. But there's a reason, and it's because you start banging solid state stuff around, or how many falls are yeah. real things can you do before yeah. now you need like to replace some stuff absolutely yeah so there is quite the rhyme and reason as to what dave likes to work on and what's in the shop and now we're going to talk to jennifer a little bit more about what cerberus does like what's why cerberus is so important to the motorcycling community there in san diego what is Everything, you know, taking everything into consideration and some of the stuff that we talked about earlier about helping people out and giving them hands on and also just being able to have a rad place to have, frankly, some pretty rad bikes. What is the best part about what you guys do? What, like, what's your, what's your, it's, it's basically the community. It's the family of just people hanging out because we have people who come in here. Yeah, their bikes in here, but. They don't touch it while they're here because they just want to hang out and talk yeah. and and just hear stories and talk talk about the day and talk about bikes or whatever they've seen. It's it's the family of it all, you know, how we just all get along. And what's cool about what we talked about earlier is everyone that comes in here is not a mechanic. Um, we have a chef. We have a physics professor. We have an um, elevator repairman. It's all walks of life. Everyone who would never meet each other before anywhere else but here they meet and they become friends facebook friends out you know go for rides together yeah and that's what i think is the greatest thing you know helping people making them feel proud and everything about doing the bike themselves but it's just the the community that we have in here right the helping and the friendliness and yeah i think that's the biggest thing about being here you know it's not it's not about the money and trying to make money and stuff like that. No, it's about meeting people and, and having people as friends and helping yeah. out. Yeah. If you talk to somebody about a motorcycle, usually seconds later, you have a lifelong friend. Yeah. <laughs> because that's one thing people love to like, like this whole environment in here seems like it's just so conducive to that. Like being able to have a place to just sit back and do what we're doing now. Just talk about, share stories, yeah. talk about, whatever and it's a common you know we've been wrapping this into this common thing so much but it's really what it is and i think that's why motorcycling in general uh kind of gets this environment around it where yeah i'm a teacher but i took the summer off and i rode across africa or something crazy like that you know what i mean you know and one thing that um i started on the side because someone told us once that it was a production company, and they didn't want to come to San Diego because San Diego has no motorcycle culture. Oh, wow. And everyone, and that just blew us away. They're like, no, we'd rather go to L.A. because that has a culture and San Diego doesn't. 
And one thing that I noticed with San Diego, especially in the vintage and custom crowd, I mean, Harley has their crowd and sport bike guys have their crowd, but a lot of the vintage and custom bikes, they're very, they have been over time very clickish you know it's like these yeah. people don't hang out with these people they don't cross pollinate their um their clubs their meats or anything like that and so i said you know kind of myself like screw it. i'm gonna start a facebook page and i'm gonna try to get everyone to be involved and so basically i did it for people who are visiting san diego and people who live here so i post all the events um, and then there's a section of motorcycle shops, motorcycle friendly businesses, and motorcycle groups. But it's it is a little bit more central around vintage and custom and old bikes and more stuff like that yeah. than anything else. Because a lot of people don't know. I mean, I kept finding pictures of the day after. It's like, oh yeah, there's this cool thing at this coffee shop of all vintage bikes. It's like. Okay, yeah, you're only having it on your site, but, you know, why don't we share it so yeah. there could be larger crowds and more gatherings, even though San Diego Police Department doesn't like large gatherings of motorcycles, but um, <laughs> that I'm going to work on. You know, I'm going to try to get that communication with, um, with San Diego. Right. And I'm just trying to, I want everyone to get, you know, bigger and, right. you know. Yeah. And I, you know, it's great that Harley has hog owner groups mm -hmm. and that there are clubs, but I feel like this is like looking around your shop and hearing about you guys talk about all the people that you've, you've met and have come through here that this is a place where you don't have to be in any click. Yeah. This, this is the click. Yes. This, the big family thing. Yeah. And that's really, that's really awesome. And that's what motorcycling needs in my opinion. And especially a lot of people that come in here, they're new riders. They're new to this. So... That's where I just like, well, look, there's this, you know, motorcycle meet here that sounds absolutely amazing, you know. There's this art gallery thing going with women only, and it's going to be a whole bunch of motorcycles, and it doesn't matter what you ride, you know. They're having this breakfast, and it doesn't matter what you ride, you know, even though it's at, you know, one of the Harley dealerships. It doesn't matter, you know, and this is why I'm trying to share it so I can let everyone know that's new. Here, there's all these things, and there's a lot of places that it doesn't matter what you ride. As long as you enjoy riding. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to share with that. So. Yeah. And that's like what it is all about. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean. And that's what we do here. If you're buying a bike to be cool or like since it's a Harley or whatever or since it's a Honda. You know, I always bag on Harleys wrongfully. But I'm yeah. just saying that's the image. You know, yeah. to me that's a an image sort of thing. So it's the wrong reason really. You know what I mean? So that, yeah, that's that's awesome. And then you mentioned that you guys do rides. Mm-hmm. You guys do that every month? Um, we try to do it every Sunday. Um, well, every other Sunday, because that's when I don't have kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> so every other Sunday, if people, you know, we're going to be here at 9 o'clock, whether people show up or not. Um, but if people want to have this as a startup for the kick-up, we, uh, um, we have coffee. I can bring muffins or make muffins, which mm -hmm. I did last time. Um, but we're basically here. We'll, we start here, and we're usually out of here by 9 o'clock. We yeah. get here about 8. And Dave usually has a route that he's going to do. I, I haven't done the freeway yet, so we really haven't done that yet. <laughs> um, but if I ride on the back, then, yeah, we go out to Julian, or we go oh, yeah. out to Cafe 94 and get a breakfast out there and ride back. But we do things like that. And we'll be doing a little bit more that will post the rides a little bit more. But we're always here every other yeah. Sunday. That's right. Oh, I mean, that's like uh, two, three weekends back. 
Um, I mean, we're kind of known for more of the cafe bike, uh, especially with Rocky's Choppers and stuff. We're more visibly known as, you know, cafe bikes and vintage Hondas and, and choppers and stuff like that. Well, we got a couple guys that have dirt bikes, ADV, Enduro stuff. And neither one of them had been had run any dirt roads. And I was like, well, screw it. Sunday we're going on a dirt road. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> so we met here, and we were out for four hours or so, and we went and ran some dirt roads out in Hamul. Yeah. And they were like, what? This is cool. And it's just, it's it's a motorcycle. You know, it's it, it, it doesn't matter. And we like to tell people if it's got two wheels and a motor, that's it. It's... Two wheels and a motor. You're good. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, there are every once in a while, and I've been doing it enough, doing it long enough to where I can tell you whether you're barking up the wrong tree or not, but there are a very small percentage of two-wheeled conveyances that I highly suggest that you don't mess around with. That would be any of the Chinese scooters and some of these little small cc import bikes um no parts simply because they're almost impossible to get parts for there's no service network in the united states uh you do get parts for it they're coming from thailand and you're waiting 16 weeks yeah if you can even find the part to begin with it's it can it can turn into a real deep dark rabbit hole yeah you can get the bike for two thousand dollars brand new and that comes at the price, other than what you pay to get it out the door. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's... Yeah. yeah, if you're going to own something like that, you should know how to work on it. But the problem is, is getting the parts to be able to work on it. Yeah. Um, it's it can, it can get deep and dark really fast. Yeah. If you want to customize it or chop it up, you could probably come here and do that. But uh, oh, sure. service-wise... <laughs> uh, yeah, and then... So you guys do do you do uh, like the mods versus rockers ride or anything like that? Because otherwise you have to wait. You guys do it every other Sunday. Yeah. Otherwise you got to wait for a, you know one of the yearly rides that pops up around. Yeah. Town. There's there's mods versus rockers and there's the distinguished gentleman's ride. Um, mods versus rockers. That was my first ride out on the bike. We just did the meet and greet down at the rook that was down the road. Yeah. And I don't know thirty bikes. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. From what I understand, about 60 bikes or so showed up for the actual ride on Sunday, oh. which was pretty cool. Um, Distinguished Gentleman's Ride had a good 150 or so bikes this last time, so I think they're expecting a good number this next time. But yeah, it's it's one event in January, one event in September. Yeah. Uh, that's San Diego. Right. And... It's a little contradictory because you were saying that somebody was didn't want to come down here because San Diego doesn't have a moto scene, and it does, but it's just like it, it's hidden almost. It's you hidden, yeah. I mean? yeah. It's it's very hidden, and that's why I started the page to try to make it more open so people can find it. Yeah, yeah. Two public rides a year, it would seem like there's no yeah. moto scene down here, but yeah. obviously you guys both know people that, that do ride, rides, all, ride yeah, all the time, do rides, and there's a lot of people who have shows at their shops or at the coffee shops. There's a lot of stuff that's going on, but yeah, it's hidden. If you're not looking for it, you can't find it. And, you know, that's why I started doing what I did. And it's called San Diego Motorcycle Events and Culture. So it just lets everyone know where 
where to go. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop. Right. Is that a Facebook page? Yes. All right. Yeah. All right. So that's what they do for the community of San Diego. If you didn't think there was a motorcycle culture there, you are sadly mistaken, my friends. And that is just awesome that there's an opportunity to ride more than twice a year down in San Diego, unless you're part of like a hog group or something like that. The next topic we get into is fantasy bikes. And I must say, if you're, you know, there is some biker emotionality coming here at the end of this segment. So if you don't like tears and heartbreak, better turn it off now or fast forward about 10 minutes. What would be your fantasy bike? (laughs) I'm going to own a 124 Hellcat. Pre-2005 124 Hellcat. I am going to own one of those bikes sometime. Okay. I want one of the ones that particularly I had a hand in building. Okay. Um, there's about 40 of them out in the world. How, <clears throat> Dave, how do you plan on getting your hands on one of these? Um, there was one actually up on eBay a month ago, and the gentleman was asking about $35,000 for it. Keep in mind that was an $85,000 bike. Yeah. Back in 2004. Um, so it's it's they. Unfortunately, when they do pop up for sale, they don't have what you could call the staying power of its value. But in that respect, the bike is still worth every bit of the dollar amount that it cost when it was brand new. Right. It's just that the market being what it is. Um. Now, the original Wraiths, we only built two of them. Okay. So there's none of those. They just don't exist. Um, so can't have one of those. Um, a black one and a silver one? The black one and the silver one. Because huh. um, then the, the the concurrent Wraiths were a completely different design. Same architecture, but completely different design, completely different way of building, completely different engine layout. Uh, they're cool bikes, but it's not the one that I worked on. Right. If that makes sense. No, I I would definitely want to be able to look at something and say I did that. Too, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. So there's there's that. Uh, I mean, there's some cool bikes out there in the world that I wouldn't mind having. Um. But when it comes down to it, uh, yeah, the next bike that I actually go out looking to buy is going to be a 124 Hellcat. Okay. Personally. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to have any other ones that I buy between now and then. (laughs) Uh, But if I go out specifically looking to buy a bike, that's it. We actually had a question on our board because we have a chalkboard that's in the bathroom. We put up questions every week or so. Our question of the week. The question of the week. And one of our questions, like, if money was no object, what would you purchase? And so everyone put it on there. And so my thing was, I want um, something vintage or something that I can go off-roading with. So one of our members said, so, you want something vintage, right? I'm like, yeah. So he gave me the engine. He goes, now you can build around that. It's a R... It's a R50? Oh, R50, yeah. Okay. I think it's an R50. So I'm going to build around that. <laughs> yeah, a flathead R50, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's bitching. And that's, the great thing is that you guys have the... I mean, obviously looking around the shop, 
I can't put it into words for all of you listening, but I mean, there's just there's nothing that can't be done in here. Just looking around, you you realize that that thing is going to need a frame. It's going to need forks, wheels. I mean, everything. It's a motor. Yeah, it's, it's a motor. motor sitting on a filing cabinet. And I have no <laughs> doubt that you guys will be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the awesome part about this garage and yeah. and the knowledge yeah. everywhere. And like we were talking about earlier, the inspiration to have all these people doing something different in here and to pick and choose from those and say hey look at this and that's what it is you know dave constantly talks about the uh, hondas and the cbs but we have everything we have harleys in here we have suzuki's we have uh, yamaha's Um, we had a 1938 bmw in here with a sidecar and that member rebuilt his whole bike and it was amazing so i mean we have just about everything in here so everyone can you know be inspired and you know it's not just that we're a honda shop more than anything else right but we are we do specialize in anything older not the new bikes because of talking about <coughs> computer systems but yeah it's a little bit of everything in here and that's why yeah. we like it that way so it's it's yeah it's a lot of fun a lot of inspiration yeah. definitely and except for the r9ts i haven't seen a lot of people want to buy a bike with the intent of hacking it up. Yeah. So thirty-four five for this two thousand five Confederate Hellcat. That is damn sweet looking. Oh, I remember this bike. <laughs> oh, I remember this bike very, very well. This was the only one that we did with the clear powder coated frame. Chromoly, mind you, all hand shigged, chromoly. We polished it, clear coated it, and then the rims, we had those polished. Normally, those bikes are purely black. Yeah. I remember building that bike. That is a rarity. Yeah. That would be the bike that I would go and buy today if I had the money. And it's so crazy how the pipes blend in with the swing arm. The swing blend. arm is the exhaust. Okay. Well then, that, <laughs> yeah. that that's right there. That and then how the tank blends in with the line of the seat, like it's the whole what we were talking about earlier—the styling and the art, art deco sort mm-hmm. of curved and man, the eyes, the the minds taken to build that thing. I remember this bike very <laughs> intimately. Yeah. Uh, when he asked for the things to be polished on it, and oh, polished motor too. Right, I saw it. Yeah, um, the side. Yeah, normally all that stuff's black. So I remember this bike. That was probably. It's only got three hundred and eighty-eight miles on it. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, he took it home and never ended. Yeah, two thousand five. That's a garager. Oh wow. Um. Yeah, that's just amazing. I'm blown away right now. 34.5. I think that was the second to last bike that we built before Katrina. No way. So that, yeah, it's 34.5. But for me, and I hate to wax nostalgic, but for me, that bike does not have a dollar amount. Priceless. Value. That bike is priceless as far as I'm concerned. Um, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dave is uh, needs a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. If you see Dave at the uh, Big Three this weekend, give him a beer. And uh, let's listen to what they have in store, the future of Cerberus Moto. What? The future of this place. We've already seen a couple incantations of it, or I hope that's the right word. I'm yeah. Incarnation. Incarnation. <laughs> yeah. Incantations. Incantations. That's, no, incantations is Friday night after we've drained the keg. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Casting some spells. Yeah. Yeah. So a few a few incarnations of the shop. Well, what's, can, the, what's the future? You want me to speak of the... Feel there, free. There is a place that we have been... I have been having my eye on. It's a building in City Heights that has been boarded up. It's basically five stores. Um, the end, yeah, you know, it's basically a block long, kind okay. of the same. It's the same width of this whole block. Okay. All the shops here, and um, the end building is all brick, co- curved ceiling. It was built in 1919, and then all the other shops have been added to that. It's been boarded up. So my dream, which we're trying to work on to see if we can get to this point, is the very first building would be a moto cafe and coffee shop. The two next two shops would be a community hall and art gallery to work with people, whatever they need, use it as club space, community space, art gallery, uh, retail shop, and then our shop would be the 1919 plus a little bit more space. But also what we would do with that space is we would get with the high schools and do an after-school program to teach these kids because now there's no auto shop in schools anymore. There's nowhere for kids to learn this type of stuff. And so we would do an after-school program for the kids to learn and do it as a four-year program. So by the end of it, they'd have a certificate that they can go and get a job. That's my dream. And also, it has a very, very large parking spot, so we can do, you know, bike shows or whatever. It's just the process of going through the city, seeing if we can acquire the building or not. Um, of course, we'd need an investor um, to help with everything, but I think that, you know, getting the community, having a community space, having a coffee shop, which that area doesn't have one, um, and having this as a bigger shop and helping other people, especially kids learn and get involved with this Um, because there are kids that are out there that don't have the opportunity especially in City Heights because that is a low income community um, and get their hands dirty that's what we would love to be able to do and I've seen it work Mm -hmm. in other states Mm -hmm. in inner cities I've seen it work with bicycles but I have specifically seen it work with motorcycles and I it's so funny because I think that is like one of the most valuable lessons that you can teach somebody yeah. to be responsible for something, yep. to be responsible for their team, yep. and to teach them something real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like you're saying, who some kids don't some kids don't do well sitting in, in a desk listening yep. to someone to chat. No. Some kids need to feel with their hands, yep. even their feet, or even just look around and move yep. in order to learn. Yeah. And how the hell are you going to learn? I mean, that's exactly what motorcycling can do or yeah. wrenching on something or building something or learning to... Because it is small tab. enough and easy enough to, to help wrap their brain around 
you know, in the, in the beginning, most of the kids probably have never touched a screwdriver, know the difference between a flathead and a Phillips, you know. And so we would start from the beginning and go on up at the end of the four years. They would learn welding by that point. But it's just because we want people to learn. And there's so much about the schools nowadays taking all the trades and arts and everything away. Because working with motorcycle, it is designing. It is planning, it is math, it is, you know, dealing with engines and putting your hands on. And I'd like to be able to get kids involved with that. Yeah. And that would be a big thing because there there's, are no... There's metalworking. Yep. There's welding. There's electrical. There's electronics. There's composites. Um, there's so many sub-genres of skilled trade involved with motorcycles it's it's unfathomable the th- the skills that you could be learning in the process of rebuilding an old Rochi CB350 yeah. um, no, and, but, that you could translate into so many different things and so many different jobs just learning that there's so many other jobs that can be yeah. you know trades that can go off of just learning something and And, especially for kids yeah and what I'm hearing is planning Mm -hmm. schematics Mm -hmm. uh, the crafting but not only that but fine motor skills and and manufacturing which has gone away but which I think I mean if everything has panned out the way that I think that it's supposed to we're supposed to see an increase in that but all the all the jobs have gone to um, service type. Yes. So we're seeing computer programmers, IT, security, yeah. and, and that's very important, but we're lacking now what we had 50 years ago, which was manufacturing. Yeah. And yes. so there's no trade skills. It's not pushed anymore, the yeah. computer stuff. It's starting to get a little bit tweaked towards that. Um, Mike Rowe, that used to do dirty jobs, Micro he Foundation. is, yeah. we love yeah. him. We absolutely love him. And he is, you know, part of that. You know, it's like, let's get trades back again. There yeah. is money in trades because yeah. for so, so long people have said, oh, you can't make any money doing trade work. You know, but you can, especially now because there is such a limited supply of people who do trade exactly. work. And the skills that you were talking about could also, I mean, just schematics, uh, looking at like, even if you become an IT person, looking at, you know, networks and stuff like that. Yeah. Your forethought and your planning and everything yeah. that you learned there can transfer over. And, and, and so it's not just that you're going to end up some grease monkey somewhere. And, you know, it, I can see I can see where you're going yeah. with this, that it does directly yeah, If you translate. can figure out a wiring diagram yeah. or, you know, a CB750, then, yeah, you're pretty darn good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can probably figure a lot of problems yeah. out, problem solving and... Hell, I could even see I could even see marketing in there, <laughs> you know, talking to people into let's do this idea that I have, you know. It, it, I, I like your idea, but let's try, you know. So yeah, I see management. I see a whole bunch of different skills that you could learn just from one one little thing. thing. Yeah. So that's really great. I, I will keep in touch and yeah. see how things are going. But I know that these things are like a long, can be a long process. Yeah, well, you know the building I mean? that we're looking at will need a lot of work on it because yeah. it's been boarded up for probably ten years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but, it's no, that's no small endeavor, but that, no. that's an awesome, that's a great goal. I yeah. mean, that's, that's amazing. It'd be but, wonderful and then to have the community space and art shows and it doesn't have to be totally motorcycle related, you right. know, and it's, it's, 
It's similar. No, because there is more to it than just the motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. Motorcycles are a catalyst. It's what we've found here. Um, like we were talking earlier, we got so many different types of people that come here for a shared reason. But then half of these people would never cross paths with one another. Yeah. If it wasn't for our space. Yeah. That's what Jennifer said earlier. Like, these, their careers aren't even in the same sphere. Yeah. No, they're not. No, yeah. they're not. I mean, for the, but looking for the future just for this space, right now we're moving things around to accommodate um, more working space and want more motorcycles. Um, <clears throat> Possibly more members. More members, okay. definitely. That's why we're moving everything around so we can fit, you know, more members in here. Um, and working on more rides and more of the workshops and try to host more events. Um, and, you know, our dream is to be able to do a um, basically border-to-border ride and whoever wants right. to come can go on that, right. doing all the back roads up and freeway back, of course. Um but just trying to help more people more than anything else yeah. in here. You know, just as many people as we can help and just letting people. It's still surprising because we are in the United States. We are the longest, well, actually the world, longest running co-op. There's, we, we have a small group and there's 13 of them in the group right now. We actually have one guy from uh, South Africa yep. that's in the group. But we are the longest running a motorcycle co-op in the world we've been doing this for six years now and it's just um we just want to keep going and it's still amazing that make no mistake we're not the first we're not the first we're just the longest running um but it's amazing to know how many people still don't know we're here yeah and that's just like at flat track races you know, it's like I, my question I always ask people, where do you live? You know, and they live, oh, San Diego. And it's like, oh, we're right, you know, over by yeah. the college area. They're like, really? I'm only like five blocks away from there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're there. Okay, I'll stop by. I'll stop by. If it hadn't been for that Itchy Bond sticker, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't have known who were. I, w- I wasn't looking at the banner. I was yeah. looking at the bikes, you know, just tripping out on how cool the bikes were. And, uh, and we had totally three different bikes. We had yeah. that one that had the Itchy Bond. We had the... Um, the 72, mm-hmm. and then we had um, the yeah. Athena, the WD-40 bike, you know, three totally completely yeah. different bikes, and that's, you know, what we're about. It's like, yeah. yeah, we have totally different bikes here, so. Yeah, that was, it was awesome, and uh, yeah, I can't believe, it's just one of those things, I guess, I guess in San Diego, even motorcyclists are hidden from each other in a weird way, Yeah, but we'll definitely get the word out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a lot of listeners um in the eastern like wisconsin Mm -hmm. and indiana and stuff like that and even across the pond a lot of people but if you're if you are ever in san diego stop by give this place a check out bring some dog snacks yeah Uh, (laughs) but but definitely stop by cerberus moto moto and um give it a look-see and just look at what is possible through community and inspiration and you know, vast knowledge that you have here at your fingertips through through Dave, of course. But uh, yeah, this place is pretty amazing, and your future plans just sound so awesome. You know, however long it takes, yeah. we need it. Yeah. Obviously, that would make everything more visible in in San Diego, and people could see the good that's coming out of you know, not like you said, not just motorcycling, but having a central 
community yeah. in general. And uh, yeah, that definitely keep our ears to the ground and, and see follow up with you guys and see how things are going but just just stop by here if you guys have a chance um if you're on vacation here <laughs> or riding through like those two uh riding from you know canada down to argentina it's a make it a stop at least make it a stop uh when you're in san diego it's one of the few cool places really to um i'm gonna bag on everybody i know in san diego by saying <laughs> that. but it's one of the few cool places where you can actually it feels like you're in your own garage. Just magnify that by 10 times. So it, it's really awesome. Um, I want to say thank you uh, to Dave and Jennifer for hanging out and for sitting down and just, I mean, giving us all the information we could ever hope for. We could, I could probably divide this into like six different shows because we've talked about so much stuff. But really quick, I want to give you guys a chance to plug your website and everything verbally for those people that can't read i know i got a lot of dum-dums that listen <laughs> but uh where can we find you on the web um we our web page is serversmoto.com we have instagram same name serversmoto and then facebook same thing serversmoto and then for the other site that i do it's san diego motorcycle events and culture and that is facebook all right so you you heard it here uh, keep, I'll, I'll write these down for those of you that can read, but just if you can't, remember those and uh, look them up when you're in town. And I want to say thank you so much for letting me stop by, let me take pics, and just let me hang out. Uh, since I'm in town and I'm not at home in my own garage, this has really, really been like a nice reprieve. It's been like a vacation while I was on vacation. So <laughs> thanks, guys, for hanging out and let me see what this shop's all about oh no thank, thank you, you definitely. Yeah. thank you and then we can smack talk some more off off air <laughs> <laughs> so all right we're out all right everybody that's our show it has been a long one we're gonna get out of your hair don't forget the solstice slam coming up march 24th please submit your entries by the 23rd i'm gonna set up a separate email so you don't have to type out our long creative writing one but anyway i hope you've had a good uh enjoyed the show my gratitude to uh, dave and jennifer down there at cerberus moto down in san diego uh, look for their uh, contact information in our show notes and all also on our Facebook page and up on our website. I um, hope you guys have a great weekend. All right, take it easy.